You've heard me say before, construction is a complex and risky business. But essentially, construction is the design and assembly of objects that are in a fixed place. So that means that buildings have to be made on-site, unique every time, and employ temporary teams to work on them. Or does it? To make this process more productive, what if you remove the site? What if the building isn't so unique? And what if the project team is kept intact from project to project? Offsite construction technology is rapidly altering the construction landscape. The practices of prefabrication and modular construction are presenting an opportunity for reducing costs, decreasing construction timelines, minimizing waste, and dramatically improving the building process and energy performance. Here on episode eight of the Construction Leaders podcast, Carly and I have with us a senior client specialist at ModLogic, Greg Oniski, to talk with us about offsite construction technology. Thank you for joining us here today, Greg. Thanks for having me, Nick. Let me jump right in with the first question and ask you to tell us just a little bit about yourself and about ModLogic. Sure. So I'm Greg Oniski. I work for ModLogic, going to my fifth year here. I work with owners, architects, construction managers, early in the phases of projects, identifying solutions where applicable for offsite construction integration. A little bit about NRB ModLogic. NRB was founded in 1979 in Ontario, Canada. In 2003, NRB USA was formed because we signed a project in the United States. In 2015, we developed a new manufacturing facility in New Holland, Pennsylvania. And in 2019, we rebranded to ModLogic due to the sale of the Canadian branch. With that sale went the name because it had a strong name in Canada as it did in the United States, NRB Niagara Relocatable Buildings. So folks look at offsite construction steel and concrete built together process that we perform offsite as, as a relatively new technology in construction. But as I mentioned, you know, since 1979, we've been doing it successfully, you know, projects from Harvard University, school districts across the country, specifically in the Northeast, Mid-Atlantic, and a lot of higher education facilities as well. Currently, we're under production of a 100,000 square foot micro hospital uh, that's four stories tall that'll be going to Athens, Ohio in late 2024 and will be opening in 2025. So Greg, I feel like we hear a few different terms when we talk about offsite construction. You know, you hear prefabrication, you hear modular construction and volumetric construction. So I'm curious if you can just briefly explain each of those and tell us how full volumetric construction is different from the other types of prefab techniques. Sure, that's a great question, Carly. So I like to say there's a scale of offsite construction, right? Prefabrication, you know, the manufacturing, planning, fabrication, of an assembly of, of building elements in a controlled environment. So that could be mechanical, electrical, plumbing racks, single trade racks would really be, if you're looking at a chart, the left side of the graph, right? It takes the least amount of integration into the design. Uh, you don't have to do it as early in the process. You know, somewhere in the middle, you have your parts of the project, right? Where you're 
implementing maybe bathroom modules, okay? Where, you know, you need to be involved pretty early in the project for bathroom modules, for prefabricated walls, whether interior or exterior. And then you have your more scope of work that's done offsite, which would include assembly line modular manufacturing, which would be full volumetric. And what we do at ModLogic is unique not only to the construction industry, but also to the offsite construction industry, where we'll take an entire building footprint and produce it in a way where it's built together. So if you take a elementary school that's 100,000 square feet, we'll take our building area at our factory and build that entire 100,000 square feet together as you would conventionally, run the mechanical, electrical, plumbing, flooring, paint on the walls, tile in the bathrooms, diffusers, etc. All that will be tested at the manufacturing facility. Each module will then be certified, disassembled, and shipped down the road on double drop deck trailers with air ride suspension. So again, you're looking at it from part and parcel all the way to the full volumetric. And really, it's an evaluation of what do you gain from that implementation. It sounds very complex, but what's a good reason that a construction manager might want to consider recommending this for an owner project? You know, speaking about the, the volumetric approach specifically, we're looking at it early on, you know, and we're asking the same question at ModLogic to owners, to construction managers. What are you looking to gain from implementing offsite construction? A couple of reasons that, you know, we see as good advantages using the modular methodology is high cost of site labor or the availability of site labor. As the labor pool in the construction industry shrinks, here, at least in, in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, we are somewhat isolated to that. Because of our geography, we're somewhat isolated to the high cost of labor and the less participation in the labor force. It's a somewhat rural area, however, we're within one day shipping of half of the nation's population, which is why there's a lot of manufacturing facilities, distribution facilities in central Pennsylvania itself, and our location to New York City, Boston metropolitan area, Washington, D.C., Baltimore areas, mid-Atlantic. We see a lot of projects that otherwise would be subject to much higher labor rates. It is more complex, as you mentioned, Nick, to build offsite. You know, we're building it together, we're taking it apart, we're shipping it, we're implementing a crane for a number of days. You know, we're maybe setting 8,000 square feet in a day with a crane. So if your project's 80,000 square feet, you have 10 days, 15 days of crane time, which is an added cost. So you look at that relative cost of labor to the end destination, and you have to do an evaluation there. The other big reason is critical timelines. So for example, higher education facilities. You're building a dormitory. You only have really one opening time, right? It's before students arrive in the fall. And coupled with that, you have a shortened construction window where you want to reduce your campus, right? So we've recently did a project at University of Maryland, Baltimore County. It was a medical office building, 
two stories, 25,000 square feet, design, build, open book, GMP. We performed this project with Whiting Turner. We started design. That took nine months. We started construction in December of 2020, and we delivered that 25,000 square foot building in May after the students left. So the critical timeline was to get that building finished by August and open for the students to arrive for the 2021 semester. And that was achieved. So critical timelines, relative cost of labor, also, you know, limited access to laydown areas. You know, that project I just mentioned with the medical office building, this building was surrounded by dormitories where students are learning. So they didn't want 12 months of construction activities happening. What we ended up saving them in that regard was we took six months of construction from the site at the campus to our factory in New Holland, Pennsylvania. So they gained, you know, the relative cost of labor. It was a complex application with a critical timeline and limited access and to lay down. So thank you for going over the reasons to select the offsite construction for a project. Once you decide this is the approach you're going to take, what are some things that stakeholders should be aware of before the project starts? Yeah, that's a great question as well, Carly. So, you know, some of the things that make a offsite construction project successful are the early commitment to the offsite approach because there are some design decisions that may need to be made relatively early in the process so that early engagement can really achieve the benefits of schedule. For example, if you're designing a prototype build that you have and converting that to modular, for the first time that you do it, it takes a bit of a learning curve. And at ModLogic, we work as design assist to help the architect, to help the owner determine how this offsite construction methodology can be implemented into their build. So once they've committed to the concept, we act as a tool for the project. We're building with typical means and methods, typical finishes, so we're material neutral. What we identify throughout the design process is how the scope of work is going to flow, whether the facade is installed at our facility here in New Holland or whether it's installed on site. And that's determined by a number of reasons. Wait for shipping, whether it's a progressive type of facade. Usually those items will push that scope of work to site. It's not saying that it can't be implemented. It's saying, where can it be implemented? hardwood flooring because it has to acclimate to its temperature uh, where it's going to be on site. Something like that would also be done on site. So really we look at the scope of work and we identify where it should be done. We look at it, at the drawings that are created, concept floor plans, and identify where columns may be located because we have some additional structural steel elements because these modules are typically 14 feet in width, 49 feet in length, we have that limitation. It is a limitation in the design 
but we look at it and try to maximize our manufacturing capabilities within the design so that we can produce the same project that you would build conventionally and not make many sacrifices in the design. For example, we just completed a Chase Bank prototype that went to Blue Springs, Missouri, and we did just that. We took the conventional build, the prototype build, and modularized it, for lack of a better term. We introduced some hi-hat modules. We were able to do the facade in the factory and produce the same building. So we work in that design assist capacity, sometimes a delegated design or structural, sometimes delegated design for architectural, and really look to be part of the team in the early phases to gain the speed and schedule certainty and really reduce the change orders as it relates to not only the modular method, but against the conventional method. So we are procuring materials earlier, building sometimes before the site is even ready to receive the modules. We just did a project in Prince George's County, Maryland, where we had a 64,000 square foot elementary school that was two stories completed and ready before the site was ready to accept it. So that building was ready four months in advance. That's not ideal. However, it did greatly reduce the schedule issues that would have been there because of the, the unanticipated site delays in that location. So what I think I hear you saying is size does matter in this case. And, you know, what I'm really curious, though, to see is if how do you see owners creating RFPs and CMs responding to those RFPs in the future, seeing all these new additions? Yeah, that's it's a good question. You know, I see owners oftentimes engaging with construction managers on the feasibility of using a range of offsite construction and exploring those options. We look at it early on just from a feasibility level. Does it make sense for this project to go offsite? You know, I talked about the medical office building that we completed with Whiting Turner. In that case, Whiting Turner was consulted by the owner. Can we even do this? Is there anyone out there who can meet our needs of implementing permanent modular solution because we have this limited area of site to work with because we want to implement new technology. You know, we want this to be a green building. We want this to be lead silver. We want this to be two stories. We want this to meet our typical building elements and have it be a showcase piece on campus. Can that be done? So, you know, it really is critical for construction managers to be aware of the options out there, whether it's, you know, bathroom pod manufacturers, prefabricated stud manufacturers, volumetric manufacturers, assembly line manufacturers. You know, I've mentioned it before, there's there's a lot of different variations of it. The modular industry is growing. It's up over five, almost six percent right now. In the last couple of years, it's risen by two percent. It's still low. I mean, six percent of the construction industry in the United States is still pretty low. Uh, it's growing. In Europe, it's a lot higher. But here, you know, we've, we've got some work to do educating. And, you know, that's why I appreciate being on this podcast so that we can discuss it and keep moving that needle forward, hopefully in time. So 
I know uh, we have in the past at CMA been approached by some of our members who are interested in offsite technology. But what I want to know is, you know, we have a lot of government agencies that are involved with CMA and, you know, they do a lot of construction around the world. Talk to me a little bit about security. When you're doing something that's duplicating basically over and over again and bringing those modules to a site, how can you guarantee securing those projects for the owner? Securing them from a government aspect specifically? Yeah. Yes. In my logic, we have in the past done government projects, a lot of which I really can't talk about because of the restrictions placed on them. However, I'll talk a little bit about the security measures. First of all, you know, those security measures are typically provided by the government agency. Sometimes we'll have government agents here at the factory with an office and doing security. You know, something what we do is we segregate the projects, fencing, screening, et cetera. We also do that for other projects. We're ordering for a project specifically, all materials are just in time labeled for the project. Sometimes fencing is created to segregate the projects even if they aren't regulated by a government agency. So we do see the government, again, it goes back to relative cost of labor and speed efficiencies. We've done projects that go overseas. A couple of years ago, we did one that went to off the coast of Africa. Some have gone off the coast of Florida as well to different government locations, data centers, things of that nature. I've also seen a, a strong increase in, in government projects. Uh, I know, you know, for years, government has been putting out RFPs Army Corps of Engineers put out a lot of good RFPs, working with strong architects who understand the methodology. We're an open book when it comes to that. So, you know, we're happy to help where it's fitting to provide examples of, of what we can do in a relative term to how we produce modules, you know, steel, concrete, permanent modular construction that can be durable and just as permanent as a conventionally built project. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsor, the Construction Manager Certification Institute. Today's ANSI accredited certified construction manager brings professionalism to the project and provides leadership by unifying architects, general contractors, engineers, and facility managers to successfully complete the project. The CCM is familiar with the latest techniques and technologies of construction, from prefabrication to building information modeling. He or she thoroughly understands sustainable design and construction, how projects are financed, and how risks can be minimized and effectively shared. The certified construction manager is a communicator, a facilitator, a problem solver, a professional leader. Certified construction managers have the proven knowledge and experience to deliver all these values for every project. Make the CCM part of your strategy for success. For more information on the Certified Construction Manager, please visit cmcertification.org. So Greg, let's talk about cost a little bit. I'm sure our listeners are wondering how much this methodology costs. Does it cost more than typical construction? Does it cost less? Couldn't you talk about the return on investment a little bit? Yeah, because I'm, I'm sure you're not shipping via UPS these prefabs, so... <laughs> Yeah, that's really the million dollar question, right? And we hear it all, all the time at ModLogic, how much is it going to cost? And I answer it probably the way a lot of folks would in the industry, whether conventional or otherwise. Well, well what exactly do you want to build, right? Because while we are, we're working offsite, each project is unique in its own regard. 
and really our, our projects, I'll use a wide range, but range from, you know, maybe a couple hundred dollars a square foot all the way to, you know, $3,000 a square foot from what I've seen in the past couple of years anyway. Certainly, yes, we've seen an increase over the past few years after the, you know, pandemic and supply chain tightening. We've seen procurement has gotten tougher, but it's gotten better. There's some long lead time items that we still are challenged with. The Really, the return on investment, Carly, that you mentioned is seen in the schedule. So, you know, to make a long answer short, we're seeing projects come in about cost neutral versus conventional construction versus an assembly line construction type. It's a different methodology, right? If you're looking for cost savings and on the West Coast, modular manufacturing may be less expensive. What we're doing is is a little bit different here in New Holland because it is, you know, steel construction, poured concrete floors, and we're not driving the specifications. The owner is, the architect is, we're building to those plans and specifications. And it comes down again to the relative cost of labor where the project is going, how it, it pencils it out. But you also have to look at revenue producing applications. Right now we're doing a program for a large convenience store retailer. And they're looking at, hey, if I open my drive-through quick serve restaurant 30 days sooner, and I'm pouring coffee 30 days sooner, and I'm making sandwiches 30 days sooner, how does that impact my return on investment? So it's not just cost per square foot in some cases, it is the return on your investment. So, you know, for that particular client, we're doing projects in Pennsylvania, we're doing projects in Delaware, and we're even doing projects in Florida where it's their second largest market. So Wawa reached out to us and said, hey, can this be done? And we said, with the right design. So let's do the design first and identify how we can build this. And that's what we did. And we were able to roll out a program for them where when they need a building, it's a simple site adapt and we can produce it in our facility at the same cost every time. Their only variable is the shipping of the modules, as you said. This particular project is 10 modules. So while it might be 30 or $40,000 to ship it to Delaware, to ship it to Florida might be $150,000. For example, it is a, a variable. So not that it can't be done. It's what value do you see by implementing the offsite uh, methodology and getting that building to site and opened earlier or opened at a specific time that you need it open? You mentioned procurement. That's a good question. I think a lot of our members are always interested in and how is the procurement different for construction managers when engaging offsite construction? And also, can you elaborate a little bit on the difference between design build and design bid build delivery methods? Absolutely. So yeah, design build and design bid build, I'll get into it's our typical process and it does fold into early procurement because if you're doing a design bid build, how are you doing early procurement in that process? Really, the owner's going to take an early leap to procure materials. Really, they have to, to meet the schedule. So, and I'll give you an example. This past summer, we were doing a couple designs for Toyota Motors Manufacturing. Okay. And we, like any design build, in this case, it was design bid build, 
we were working through the design and identifying those items, windows, doors, transformers on site that were really far out. You know, transformers on site, as many of you know, summer of 23, 52 weeks out. It's crazy. But so we're doing these designs, we're identifying them. Meanwhile, we are giving budget checks along the way. This is a design, bid, build process. So once we reach a certain level of comfort within the budget, we know what the materials are, we know what the cost is, we know what the production schedule is, et cetera, we're feeling comfortable about locking into basically a, a guaranteed maximum price, if you will, um, whereas a design build, you know, you might have that GMP established much earlier on, but we really try to treat design bid builds in the same manner. And we really like to have construction manager on the team in the beginning, even if we are approached by a client, we look to bring on the construction manager as well, because when we're establishing a guaranteed maximum price for a client, we're only providing, in essence, half of the picture because the construction management team or the general contractor or the modular general contractor in some cases is going to finish the building when it arrives on site. So if I would look at a project and tell an owner, out of the factory, yeah, that's, you know, $5 million. Well, what's the rest of the picture when it shows up to site? What kind of connection needs to be made in between the modular units. Now, while we can give a great deal of guidance on that and our mechanical, electrical, plumbing subcontractors that we hire in our factory can give a good deal of time relative so that you can plug in those costs, it really needs to be bid out on site as well. So both procurement strategies, we're looking to identify and order long lead items. Both were looking to set, establish a guaranteed maximum price and provide budget checks along the way so that there's comfort going into the construction documentation and the final phase of construction where we're hired to produce the building. You know, I'd say design bid build is probably 75% of our projects and design build is probably the balance. So I think we have time for just one more question. And I wanted to ask you about what you see in the future both for the future of the industry and offsite construction, but also what the future holds for Mod Logic. So if there's a lot of technology really in any industry. I think in construction, you know, we've been using the same tools for a long time, hammer nails, nail guns, you know, we're making some bounds. With offsite construction, a lot of factories have tried to implement a great deal of technology into them to varying degrees of success. And I think the future could be you know, technology. I, I don't see it anytime soon relative to like the next few years where we're just pressing print and a building gets printed in a factory and shipped. But I think there's still going to need to be a, a strong labor pool supporting manufacturing facilities. Specific to Mod Logic, I can tell you that we just purchased a factory this year in May of 2023 that produces light gauge framing assemblies. So we've implemented some backwards implementation where we can produce light gauge stud walls, production packs in Ohio, ship them to our facility in Pennsylvania, 
and install them. So we're installing prefab wall assemblies into our prefabricated buildings so that we can gain more efficiency, gain more speed, build faster, less waste, cleaner job site, less cutting. I mean, sawing studs is a pretty loud activity. So we're rolling our own studs in Ohio, selling them to other developers and owners as well, but we're using them in our modules built in New Holland so that we can have cleaner job sites, we can reduce waste. The other avenue I see offsite construction really entering is the carbon neutral. We hear it a lot, you know, by 2030, we're carbon neutral. We're building schools in Maryland that are already gonna be capable to be carbon neutral. And from ModLogic's perspective, we're following the plan that the architect, structure manager, owner lays out to achieve those results. And it's, it's interesting that we get the question, can you do this? Of course we can, because it's, it's the materials that are specified. We can segregate the waste. There's less waste. Inherently, it is a more green way to build. If you can couple that with your goals, you can achieve it. And we want to be part of that. And we've done a lot over the past couple of decades that have been LEED certified. And, and we really look forward to the future of you know, continuing those efforts continue our relationships with construction management firms and really helping to grow the industry. As I mentioned, it's around 6% of the construction industry. You know, I think it could see a rapid growth within the next five to 10 years. That's really good news. Well, thank you so much, Greg, for being on the podcast today. I know I personally learned a lot, so I'm sure others did as well. To learn more about ModLogic, visit modlogiq.com. On the next episode of the Construction Leaders Podcast, Nick and I will be joined by Josh Levy, the co-founder and CEO of Document Crunch, to talk about recent advancements in the construction contract document space. Make sure to download or subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media at CMAA underscore HQ. Also, don't forget to leave us a review with your thoughts on today's episode and let us know what you might like to hear on upcoming episodes. On behalf of CMAA, I'm Carly Trout with Nick Soto. Thank you for listening.